Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome back to the Enterprise, uh, the Expanse listeners. I am but one of your hosts, Chris Hill, and with me, as usual, is Kyle West. How are you doing today, Kyle? Uh, I'm doing really well. Um, I have a new tradition before we record these episodes, which is that I get a little bit of time alone, so I watch some Criminal Minds, as I've said before, mm-hmm. and I've been keeping track of all the Trek guest stars, and I've almost always had a Trek guest star like on the 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 viewing before I come in to speak to you and it happened again Chris uh, so yeah. this time uh, right like 10 minutes before I came on with you I was finishing up an episode that featured none other than Jonathan Frakes um, nice uh, yeah it, it was nice until I realized that uh, he was playing a, a pedophile but, <laughs> but um, yeah and he was responsible for basically the creation of the serial killer in this episode but a real surprise like when it when his face shut up I was like I was like, man, Frakes. I didn't even know he was acting around then. This was like 2010, 2011. Yeah. And, um, and then I thought, this keeps happening when I do a podcast. But otherwise, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Um, my first week of being 35 years old has um, gone about as badly as I expected. I've still got a dodgy <laughs> knee. <laughs> so uh, I'm wondering if it's, if it's arthritis kicking in, but I imagine it's probably not that just yet. Yeah. Uh, but not how yet. have you been? Been, been doing, doing real well. Um say kind of kind of roll into to one of our, our talking points here with 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 you uh going to be leaving us here soon i had to scramble together a new crew and <laughs> folks that th- this is how how good kyle is it's taken three people to replace him <laughs> <laughs> i hadn't i hadn't actually thought of it like that so i'll uh I'll, I'll definitely take that as a compliment um yes so i guess for some people listening to this uh, they may not follow us on our social media platforms um so they may have missed any uh announcements we made about it but yeah i am uh, yeah. going to be uh replaced on this show in the coming weeks um it is a uh, decision that was very hard to make for myself and i do plan to um intrude upon you in the future yes yes we'll, we'll, uh, with... we'll keep you on retainer yeah so I'll, uh, I'll definitely still be showing up from time to time but i got some uh I need to balance out with my real world commitments, but also just my my online commitments. You know, I have a lot of things um, that I'm working on that are public and not public, as as it stands. So I needed to give a bit of focus to them. And you know, this show works uh, works really well as a currently anyway as a sort of weekly show, and um, and uh, that just became a bit too hard for me to to stick around for. But I'm going to be listening, man. You know, I love my yep. I love my enterprise chats every week or whenever it is we record them together so i'll definitely be listening in and looking forward to there being a fresh perspective on the show as well and seeing what you do with yeah it. yeah i can say uh we're we're bringing in two people or well one one person that's never really done any podcasting at all before that's uh jordan brown 
the uh, another one's done podcasting in in the past, but not not really so much Trek centric. Uh, it's a uh, Perry Freeze, and I'm sure a lot of you have heard of Chris Trebuzio, and he's going to be joining us as well. So big team, yeah. And there was I um, say, this is just go, I, ahead. go ahead, if I could just cut in as well and say like I had I played no part in the uh, recruitment. Uh, you know, I've I've left this uh, with you, Chris, but. For anyone listening who may have um, applied as well uh, to join the show, I mean, honestly, guys, there was so many people who got in touch mm-hmm. when they saw the advert, um, more than we've had for any other uh, show at Hollow Sweet Media that I've seen uh, when we've been trying to replace hosts. So just a thank you to all of those people who did get in touch. And um, I'm sure that if, uh, if Chris didn't take you on as a permanent host, that he will definitely be reaching out to you um, to guest star at some point yes. in the future. Yeah. Yes, and I, and I too want to thank thank everybody who who applied and that that I chatted with, had some great conversations, and was definitely thinking thinking you know a couple of them were were guest co host potentials, and then once a few of the other interviews happened, that it just kind of all fell into place. So. Yeah. I didn't envy you when I saw how many people <laughs> you needed to to meet with. I didn't envy you because it's always, it's always hard, uh, particularly with Trekkies, because yeah. most Trekkies are just wonderful people. And if you could, you'd have a 10-person panel. But can you imagine trying to organize recordings <laughs> and even yeah. to try and express an opinion on an episode? <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, um... So yeah, and, and and unfortunately, our our, our we're going to lose sort of our our overseas uh, perspective, but that but they will be available as guests for the ones ones that I did talk to. <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll do our best to make sure Reed gets mentioned more than just just passing. Please do. It's uh, actually our <laughs> character uh, profile study of Reed has had a bit of a spike recently in uh, downloads. So. And that was months ago. So yeah. <laughs> clearly, there are Reed fans jumping onto this podcast. I salute you. He is one of my Trek heroes. And uh, yeah, long may the Reed love continue on this show. Yes, and and you know, it might not just be that they like Reed; they also like Dominic himself too. So yeah, yeah. nice guy. <laughs> Seems it anyway. Funny guy <laughs> from the looks of it. Yeah, I can say before we uh, before we continue on though, uh, we we would love for you to give us that wonderful five-star rating and leave a written review if you would feel so inclined. And also don't forget to, to subscribe. And as always, if you're driving while listening to this, wait till you get to where you're going to do all that. Yeah. Chris, could I uh, read out a review that just came in actually uh, in the, the last uh, few days? Um, oh, sure. Uh, it was a five-star review. It said uh, the heading was superb enterprise podcast. And the review said, I recently watched all of Enterprise back-to-back, missed most of them the first time round. My life was distracted with other stuff, and I was suffering from DS9 fatigue. But watching the whole Enterprise series in 2021, I now think it's one of the better Star Trek series, and a real shame it discontinued early. I even loved the Ferengi episode. <laughs> that's, that's acquisition <laughs> for anyone who doesn't remember. Um, this review goes on to say, This is the best podcast to listen to after watching all the episodes, provides a great insight into the whole saga and some great philosophical discussions 
on the themes. Keep it up, guys. You're doing a grand job. And that was from uh, Norfolk Boy, who's from the UK as well. So okay. um, thank you, uh, Norfolk Boy, for that review. Um, yes. God, I mean, when you read stuff like that, that's why you check the reviews and the things, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, we're no, none of us are making a career out of this, at least certainly not right now. And uh, we're just doing it for... What well, to discuss the things we love and to hope that some people listening enjoy listening to our conversations about it and reviews like yeah. that fantastic so thank you very much and uh after you've you know done your rating and subscribing uh we do have a, a patreon um i'll go ahead and leave you the details for that now uh it might be me talking about it, it might be kyle i haven't decided yet so <laughs> we'll leave those here If you enjoy listening to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, every week, then please consider supporting our show by becoming a patron. Visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash nx01podcast. There you can view our subscription tiers. Some of the benefits of becoming a patron include early access to our episodes, bonus episodes, and so much more. Your support helps us continue to maintain and exceed the high level of quality that you have come to expect from the show. To all of our existing patrons, we appreciate you and your generosity so much. And to those of you considering joining us, we would be so thankful to welcome you into our group of patrons. Again, visit patreon.com slash nx01podcast for more details. You will also be able to find the website link in the details of this podcast episode. Welcome back in, folks. Uh, this week, we'll be talking here on The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, the Season 2 episode, Future Tense. In uh, Future Tense, the Enterprise finds a, a small craft that they, uh, th- that's been adri- that's adrift in deep space. Uh, they don't have any life signs that they can pull from it. Um, and the hole is, seems to be scattering the Enterprise's sensors. So Archer just says, you know, to have them put it in launch bay two. And then they kind of look it over visually as close as they can. and But they couldn't find a hatch until T'Pol was able to locate it. Then they realize that it's it's fused shut. So they go ahead and open it. And after they open it, they discover a long dead corpse that T'Pol confirms as being a human. Dun, dun, dun. This is the end of the teaser. Um... Fox conf- does confirm that the pilot is human um, and comments that the Enterprise crew uh, weren't or apparently weren't the uh, first humans to venture this far in deep space, to which Archer's like, well, let's get a DNA test to see, you know, if he's a member of Starfleet so that way we can inform his family that he has passed away. T'Pol comes comes in right after and is like, hey, you know, there's no inhabited systems for several light years here. and uh, This gets Archer thinking that it might be Zephram Cochran who disappeared years earlier piloting a one-man vessel. Um, and it was rumored that, you know, he was testing another experimental warp ship and, you know, which would kind of explain why they, they came across it. Reed, Travis, and Tripp are in the hangar making analyses. Vessel hole seems to absorb the uh, electromagnetic radiation. Um, and 
without the the damage they wouldn't have been able they wouldn't have been able to figure that out with with the level of sensors that they had suggesting that you know this could be a stealth ship and everything archer then kind of talks with admiral forest uh tries to see if it could be from or and forest is kind of skeptical that it's from the vega colony which is a couple light years away and uh forest is like well i'll check with the uh with the boomers there with the earth cargo authority and see if they've got anything about it and then archer goes ahead and lets forest know about his theory about it possibly being zephram and admiral says that if it is then it could be the solution to the greatest missing person mystery of of this current century after uh, continuing their analysis uh trip and reed uh, find another hatch inside the ship that's covered with organic circuits. Um, after they open it, they uh, they see a tunnel that leads deeper into the vessel, which, judging from the outside, would be physically impossible. And which means that the ship is bigger on the inside. So immediately, you know, certain certain members of other fandoms would 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 get their head or their gears turning on that one. <laughs> Um, as they're exploring it, the uh, Sulaban drop out of warp and are like, hey, we have salvage claim over this vessel. And Archer's like, well, no, this is an Earth spaceship with a human pilot, so it's ours. And then Sulaban try to attack, and they're saying that they didn't want the, the pilot, they just wanted the vessel. And then while while the, uh, the ship's in the launch bay and the, the battle's going on outside... Uh, Reed and Trip find what what appears to be the uh, black box for the for the vessel, and then they try to uh, yeah they uh, but then they realize that uh, the Enterprise is under attack. They get out of it. Trip tries to contact the bridge, but two uh, Sulaban come in and and start attacking Trip. Reed shoots one of them and then starts a firefight with the other, and the uh, Sulaban's trying to open the launch bay doors on the bridge. Hoshi's not able to get a lock on, or is not able to lock out the intruders. But Enterprise damages the cargo vessel's weapons sufficiently for them to withdraw, and they beam beam out the two Sulaban from the launch bay. Afterwards, uh, Trip tells Archer that he thinks he found or thinks he found the black box since it was heavily shielded, and then uh, Fox. As they're they're talking about that, Fox requests Archer to come to sick bay. Once there, uh, Fox has been able to find a couple uh, undamaged cells enough to make a genetic analysis, and that's when the corpse's DNA, or they find out that the corpse's DNA doesn't match anyone in the Starfleet database at the time, and that there were devi- unusual deviations in the nucleotide sequence. And, but they had familiar chromosome structures, which led Fox to find out that this particular pilot had not only Vulcan ancestry, but Terillian. Um, and then another unknown species. And then he believes that it, it, this is the result of several generations of interspecies breeding. This is when Archer starts to believe that the Temporal Cold War is to blame. So he and T'Pol go down to Daniel's quarters, where his database from the future is, 
they uh, start searching, and Topol says she finds that it'll be uh, that it would be unlikely for Falcons and humans to reproduce because of the significant biological differences. This causes Archer to wonder if a child of Vulcan and human parents would have pointed ears. Once they uh, find the information, they realize that this ship was commissioned 900 years into into their future. And Archer remembers that Daniel's talking about historians from the future traveling back to kind of study the past. And and this is probably what the pilot was doing. The database says that uh, the small vessel is powered by a temporal displacement drive, which is probably why the Suliban wanted it. Uh, Archer's concerned that if that if it gets into the Suliban's hands, that it that the uh, technology could cause a change in the course of the temporal cold war. And at that time, Archer receives a call from the bridge that another alien vessel is approaching at high warp. Once they uh, once Archer and Topol arrive on the bridge. Topol recognizes the configuration of the vessels, and here's an, and we get another uh, reference back to the original series. We find we see that it's the uh, the Tholians that are starting to attack. Reed gets you know the or gets some thermal readings from the Tholian vessels and realizes that it's extremely hot in those vessels, uh, approximately two hundred degrees or over two hundred degrees. Um, I'm going to presume centigrade since they didn't really specify, but still, still yeah, pretty yeah. hot either way. Either way, well, slice wor- it. I only work in centigrade, so <laughs> <laughs> we don't do Fahrenheit down here. So, um, and then Topol believes that uh, they are non-humanoid species, and that would explain the, the high temperatures. Uh, the Tholians say they want to retrieve the vessel because it has because they say it poses a danger to the Enterprise's crew due to temporal radiation. Archer denies the request, and the Tholians start to or lock onto the Enterprise with a tractor beam. And then that's when Archer tells the Tholians that if they didn't release the Enterprise, that he would destroy the vessel in the launch bay, causing the Tholians to go ahead and withdraw. Later on, uh, Phlox joins T'Pol in the mess hall and delightedly, in his very Phloxian way, tells her that he's found other nucleotides in the pilot's genome that appear to be uh, Rigelian. And then she then... yeah, uh, T'Pol tells the doctor that uh, Archer asked her to perform a metallurgic analysis on the vessel's hull, revealing that there are several unusual alloys. Doctor comments about Archer's theory about the vessel being from the future, and that there's a lot of evidence to endorse it. But Topol falls back on the Vulcan Science Directorate has determined that time travel is not possible, and they kind of go back and forth. You know that the Flox is like, well, they might want to reconsider their their opinion, and Topol's like, well, time. The, the impossibility of time travel, according to the Vulcan Science Directorate, isn't an opinion, it's just logic. Uh, and then Phlox recounts uh, Denoblian's first contact with uh, other members, or other species in the galaxy, the uh, Basari, and how, even though even though some, some uh, there were still some cynics, they had to, uh, they, they, they all eventually changed their beliefs that 
no, they weren't the 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 uh, weren't the only intelligent species in the galaxy. Back in engineering, uh, Trip and Reed are trying to make the black box work, and realizing that it could be from the thirty first century. Uh, Reed uh, kind of recalls, you know, wanting to to build a time machine to see what the future was like. Trip doesn't like like doesn't want to know what what his future's like but he he did want to go into the past to uh see some dinosaurs at that point reed's like well if there's one place i would go or one time i would go it'd be 1588 when the british are or yeah the british armada defeated the spanish armada they uh go to hope open the uh the hatch and then the conversation starts over by the third time, they kind of realize what's going on and head back up to the bridge. Or, well, first they head to, to sickbay to make sure nothing's happened to them. And, and Fox kind of scans them over and there's nothing that he could find. Uh, T'Pol says that the craft was emitting a type of high-energy particles, which would be the temporal radiation mentioned by the Tholians. Fox believes there are Unlikely to be any lasting effects since the intensity was fairly low. At that point, Archer orders Launch Bay 2 to be sealed to prevent any more incidents and learns from T- Trip that he was unable to get any data from the black box. T'Pol asks to speak to Archer in private and then she comments that she thinks that it's too dangerous for them to keep the craft with them since they've been attacked by two hostile species and the radiation could spread to other sections of the ship. At that point, T'Pol suggesting that they destroy the vessel. However, Archer does not like, doesn't like this idea and, but, but says it doesn't like this idea because he's tired of the temporal cold war interfering with the current century that they're in. And that it was time that they took a more active role into it. T'Pol doesn't really believe that this war exists, you know, because Vulcan Science directed director and whatnot. And Archer's like, well, we've been involved in this since we left space dock. At that point, uh, to pull and recommends to Archer that, uh, they put the ship on tactical alert, which they go ahead and do. Um, Archer enters engineering to see how, how far trips made it on a, on the black box and says that it wasn't a black box or some kind of data storage matrix, but it started generating a subspace signature working like an emergency signal. T'Pol calls down and informs that several Suliban vessels are approaching. T'Pol then alerts that the, the uh, Suliban ships will be in re- weapons range soon. At that point, Archer orders the ship to go at maximum warp, but the Suliban catch them. And about th- with le- less than three minutes until their rendezvous with with the Talkir, the uh, Vulcan ship that was going to take take this human back to Earth and the ship. At that point, the Suliban commanding officer doesn't believe that the Vulcans would defend the Earth vessel, and then starts to fire by trying to blast the launch bay doors open. At that point, Enterprise drops out of warp near the rendezvous point, and they see the Talkir almost destroyed by Tholians as they approach. And the Enterprise tries to escape from the Tholian ships, 
but all the Tholian ships are firing together and disable the warp engines, the weapons, and depolarizes the whole plating. The Suliban cell ships drop out of warp and start a firefight against the Tholians, and Archer asks Tucker about the warp engines and is told that it would take a few hours to get them fixed and weapons rendered inoperable by some scrambled power relays. Archer orders Trip to bring the mysterious device online, believing its subspace signature could bring the future vessel's builders to help Enterprise. T'Pol thinks that even if this is correct, that it is unlikely that they will arrive in time. At that point, Archer asks Reed to get a torpedo and send it to the launch bay where, where he was on his way to. At that point, Archer and Reed start removing the warhead from the torpedo to destroy the future craft, and then T'Pol informs Archer that the Suliban are losing the battle with more than half the ships already destroyed, and that there wasn't much time left. They finally remove the warhead, and then time starts to repeat itself just as it did earlier when Reed and Trip were messing around with, with the ship. Then they try to remove it again, then, then the loop repeats. Um, although time has repeated itself in the launch bay, outside it hasn't. And then the Suliban ships are defeated, and the Tholians hail to pole, asking once more for the vessel, and she tries to delay them. Their ship stocked with Enterprise, a security team rushes to the airlock as the Tholians try to blast through the doors. Meanwhile, Trip gets the future device online, and despite the time loops, Archer manages to put the warhead onto the ship and opens the launch bay doors, dropping it into space. The Tholians lock onto it with a tractor beam, and Reed tries to detonate the warhead, but it's too late as the Tholians have neutralized it. Back in engineering, the future device disappears in front of Tucker, along with the corpse in sickbay, and then the uh, vessel itself, as the Tholian ships start to withdraw, causing Archer to wonder why they didn't continue the fight. With the battle ended, Archer asks about the Talkir status, and their warp engines are damaged, but the life support is stable, and prepares a shuttle pod to help the Vulcans, but the Vulcan captain still doesn't believe what happened. As they're wrapping up, Tucker, T'Pol, and Archer are all talking, and Tripp says that he wishes that he had more time to explore the, the ship and wondering how many rooms were in it. But it appears that everything's been sent back to the 31st century, and, but T'Pol says that there's no evidence to support that view, and Tripp replies that there isn't any evidence to contradict it either. And that's sort of where they... Where they uh, end the episode with T'Pol making a wry comment about it'd be more possible for time travel to exist than for humans and Vulcans to get together. So, lot lot to pack in there. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that wasn't the briefest of brief uh, recaps. <laughs> well, you know. On the episode. Um, yeah, quite quite a lot going on in Future Tense. <laughs> so... So, uh, what were uh, some of your initial thoughts on the episode? Man, I forget how good this episode is, I th- and I think a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of viewers do as well. Because when we think about the temporal cold war, we'll talk about broken bow, cold front, shockwave, uh, the expanse, the Zindiac, and and Stormfront, and we often forget about 
about future tense and yeah. so much happens in future tense uh, it's the episode is very much like regeneration which uh, came about the same time in the season two as well where it starts off where they're they're deep in the shit <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and it pretty much carries on and there's a ominous vibe to the whole episode and i just think it introduced so many big bold new ideas for the temporal cold war that unfortunately never went any further really than than this episode uh, with like the the tholians and things like that but and like the suliban and tholian conflict but there was just so much it was so good it had comedy Mm -hmm. it had frustration it had uh, omg moments like when you see the vulcan ship i mean this episode actually had everything you know it, it, yeah. legit, it legit had everything so you know i'm a i'm a big fan of this episode and i, I really enjoyed my rewatch of it as well even though i knew how it all ended it was mm-hmm. it was really fun to to rewatch this one again how, how about you yeah uh same here uh I, I think i really enjoyed it uh more so for the for the original series callbacks you know with with Trying to find Cock or yeah Cochran and and then the Th- of course the Tholians coming in, but and this was also a time before I watched Doctor Who, so I didn't I didn't really know anything about you know Tardises or anything like that. So I was like, <laughs> oh hey, maybe this is part of part of our future. But then you know on on, on my subsequent rewatches, I'm like, oh hey, wait, could this be a Tardis? And we'll, we'll kind of get get more into that here here coming up, but definitely one of those gems i won't say hidden because it's it's there and when once people watch it they're like oh yeah that's right this is a a great episode yeah um yeah we use that hidden gem phrase a lot don't we um i think this is yeah it's it doesn't fit the hidden gem criteria because it's such a i think such prominent story arcs running throughout it Mm -hmm. but as i said it's definitely one that gets forgotten about and um this was part of a a good stretch of season two episodes uh, in yeah. the, the back half of the season as well, which, you know, season two, we've said it before, it, it, it does get some criticism from people. Even people who say they loved season three and four, they talk about how one and two, they dragged or they couldn't get into them. Um, season two has got so much good, good TV, not just good Star Trek. It's got really good TV. Yeah. And uh, this was one of the episodes that, that was just, was just up there it's great star trek mm-hmm. so um as i alluded to do you, do you think that this was actually a tardis <laughs> um i guess there's been comic book crossovers well, isn't there um with doctor who yes and and star trek um so um who knows maybe maybe they do with with, with your beloved 11 and, and tng <laughs> yeah so maybe they do share share a universe um or share a multiverse, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Um, certainly, the idea of the TARDIS is is always fun, isn't it? So, like, yeah, you know, a ship that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. I mean, I don't understand the science behind all of it, and I'm not oh, smart would... enough for that. But yeah, yeah. But I can. To me, it it did feel right for the Trek universe. It didn't feel so crazy that. It felt out of place, you know. I guess they were trying to think, you know, what does the future look like in this in 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 this Star Trek universe? And if they looked, if the writers looked at that and thought, yeah, this do TARDIS style 
thing with this ship, then actually you look at the progression of technology that we'd seen in all the shows, and it's quite possible that we could have got there uh, by the, was it the 30th? 31st. 31st century. Um, so a thousand years from now. Yeah, uh, the technology doesn't seem to exist in Discovery that we've seen. We right. should should clarify that you know Discovery has shown a the tiniest fraction of what's going on in the Alpha Quadrant in its third season. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it I think it fits, and I hope we do revisit the technology uh, on Discovery. But maybe Doc- Doctor Who is so well known now. I think amongst uh, science fiction fans in America uh, has been for the last 10 years really that maybe it would be considered uh, too much of a a rip off yeah. I guess so to speak so so this would this would place it more more as an homage then yeah but I mean I'm not <laughs> I was thinking about this after I read uh, your your rundown for this episode I was in the kitchen I was making my uh, my cup of coffee mm-hmm. before coming on with you and I was thinking, how do I answer that question? I mean, is it is it an homage, or is it, uh, or did they think it was an original idea? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm kind of, but it seems so. It seems so close to Doctor yeah. Who that it must be an homage. But a part of me kind of thinks they probably they maybe they didn't have a clue. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and they just came up with this cool idea that happens to be a TARDIS. Yeah, because at, at the the point that this came out, um. The last thing that was even, you know, that was officially licensed by BBC for for Doctor Who would have been the movie. Yeah, the TV movie, yeah. what, six, no, about four or five years earlier. About 98, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, 96, about there. Yeah, so yeah, five five or six years earlier. And Doctor Who was not prominent enough in the... um, I don't think in the American fans. Um, there were there were a few people who who did who were kind of regular with their with their watching of Doctor Who through uh, PBS mostly. Yeah, and I think even when the show came back in two thousand five uh, in the UK, it didn't really become a international hit. This current run, I mean, yeah. didn't become an international hit until about two thousand ten, two thousand eleven, when Matt Smith. Came in and there was a big push with BBC America so, and, yeah. and things. So let's let's go let's go with homage. Should we should we say it was an homage? It it, it can't yes. not have been, can it? Yeah, yeah. And you know, un- unlike the uh, the Vulcan science directorate, we are looking at the evidence and and determining that it wasn't a TARDIS, but it was an homage. <laughs> uh, kind of segmenting into that. So what were what were your thoughts of the the scenes that repeated? I thought they were brilliant. I thought they were done really well. Um, done at perfect times as well. Mm-hmm. So the bit with Trip and Reed was funny. I mean, this uh, the first time you watch this episode through, and the first time they repeat that bit of walking into the the bay again. I think at first you're thinking something gone wrong with the episode. Yeah. Uh, but then, uh, but then you have fun with it. And uh, in fact, watching the episode back, every time you see Trip and Reed working in there before that, mm-hmm. you know, I I couldn't remember when it started so i kept waiting you know just for when does it when's it going to start what are they going to take out that's going to make them suddenly have to repeat the uh, the events again and i think the repeating of the scenes in the climax with archer and reed oh man have you ever felt more frustrated yeah. and like has your blood ever boiled more <laughs> than when 
uh, Archer has the warhead mm-hmm. bit and he goes to put it into the ship and as he's going to place it down, they reset again. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just thinking, oh, so close, so close. And I could feel the frustration. Like, I was more frustrated than Archer and Reed were, mm-hmm. actually, <laughs> from that. Um, so I thought that was a, a fun addition to the episode that... I wish we'd got more of in in other temporal cold war episodes. I mean, what about you? I mean, did you did you find them fun or frustrating yeah. or, or what? I I really enjoyed especially the the trip and read one. Uh just just with, you know, trip kind of correcting read about, you know, stegosauruses being herbivores and not, you know, the carnivores that that he was probably thinking of when he th- thought of dinosaurs. Um but I did like how how they were sort of able to to remember just about how far they'd gotten there with uh, Archer and Reed, and like, okay, well, mm. we just need to really kind of buckle down, get this done as quickly as we can, and then kind of go from there. I thought it was interesting as well uh, that they would start to repeat it and not n- notice immediately that they were repeating. You know, yeah, it's as if they. Uh, I, I I don't know. I I, I, like I said I don't understand the mechanics of it all, but. They weren't fully aware straight away, were they, that they were repeating? Right. Um, I've seen other time travel stories with uh, in sci-fi because this is obviously a common trope. Mm-hmm. Normally, as a whole episode theme, not just as a uh, as a little sort of bit added in, um, where when time repeats, they suddenly when it keeps repeating, they know straight away. But even here, when it kept repeating, yeah. At first, at the very start of it, they were just carried on through the motions as if they're. Um, it was taking a bit longer to twig. And I like I like that aspect of it. Yeah, I can say yeah, de- definitely not like Groundhog's Day or uh, cause and effect there with TNG, which I think I think is kind of what they I think they drew more from cause and effect than they did this episode when Discovery did magic to make the Sandiest Man go mad. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it it took them it took them a lot longer to figure out what was going on, and you know it could have been you know hundreds, thousands, millions of times. Yeah, didn't Stamets... He gave an indication, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, it had been... I can't remember what it was at all, but I know it was... We're talking... It was like hundreds of thousands, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, at times, he'd repeated it. Um, but we know... So. We know from the... Uh, at least the stuff with Archer and Reed, that they did have a, like a, a four or five minute window, didn't they? So yeah. uh, we know that they were only repeating during that, but... Who knows how long Trip and and Reed were were repeating that Talk, moment before talking about Spanish armadas and Stegosaurus uh, sources. Yeah, I mean they they could have gone through it loads. And Archer says to Reed, you know, how many times do you think we've done this, or maybe the other way around? And Reed's like, oh, definitely, definitely twice, which I think was probably accurate. Yeah. But it goes to show that they weren't even one hundred percent sure. Um, so that that would be it would be interesting to find out how many times they were talking about the stegosaurus yeah Go, going on to our our next little bit here uh were you surprised that the uh, tholian showed up so unlike you i'm not a a diehard tos guy um you know i'm actually rewatching it now mm-hmm. for from my other podcasts uh, her first track but i was familiar with the tholians because of the tholian web you know yeah. like the the webs around the ship so recognize them for that uh, but to be honest, a lot of my knowledge of Tholians is the name, being in the Trek fandom, mm-hmm. you're familiar with the name. And when I go back now, I get excited seeing the Tholians here because of what was done with them 
in in a mirror darkly in season four um parts uh, one and two yeah uh, so it didn't mean a whole lot to me for them to show up but i knew they were a legacy race and that was kind of exciting to see enterprise touching on uh, an established race mm-hmm. and you're thinking oh they're going to grab this race that we don't know much about and maybe they're going to become a prominent species on this show uh, and we're going to see lots more of them and uh, i think maybe that was the plan yeah but i think the zindi storyline probably started getting plotted a couple of weeks after this episode filmed yeah you know they weren't quite sure uh, the the fan reaction at the time so yeah and and so i think they pulled pulled back on the tholians but um but yeah i did i did sort of respect the writers bringing them in i mean you're you're the tos fan so for you you'd seen a couple of the films i think uh after seeing tos but you hadn't seen any other trek so uh for what do you think seeing the tholians oh i was i was definitely like Definitely excited, um, though at, I think at the time I was a little little disappointed that, that they weren't trying to encapsulate the the Talkir in in their web. But I think it was. But then I kind of uh, on subsequent watches I was like, okay, yeah, they're just trying to get the ship. They don't really care about anything else. So yeah, that's a good explanation for it, isn't it? Yeah. Because you think if you're going to use the Tholians, you want the, you're going to see the web. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't do that, but I guess you're right. They didn't actually want to harm. Uh, the Enterprise or the crew, uh, they just wanted the ship, and we saw that at the end, didn't we? Yeah. And they, as soon as they lost the ship, they just they just went. They didn't didn't come back for the Enterprise. Yeah, and you know, like, like you were saying, you know, I think I think had uh, had we gone on, you know, further on, you know, past four seasons, that in season five they probably would have picked up picked up threads from this episode, and and put it in where they kind of battled the Tholians a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, absolutely agree. Which, you know, that that could be, you know, after the season premiere of our season five writer's room. <laughs> so with uh, coming back to, to Daniel's equipment, did you enjoy seeing all those graphics again and and them going down to his quarters to, to get it? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you get a little reminder that there is this room on the ship that's got all this stuff in it mm-hmm. uh, from the future. Although, given that we've seen... In this episode, how the people from the future can just beam their stuff back. I'm now wondering why Daniels could never just do that yeah. with his stuff. Or maybe he foresaw that it was useful to leave his tech there for situations like this. So I'll go with that for my head cannon. Yeah. Um, I was up and down during this part because uh, Katie watched this with me, actually. Cause she hadn't seen it in a while. And we were eating dinner whilst we were watching it. And... I had to get up and down for the children for some reason during this sequence. So I missed a lot of the ships scrolling by. But I was trying to remember when this episode aired and being online and everyone was screen capping. Yeah. Like everything from this, like what ships are there. And I thought I saw, maybe I'm wrong, when I came back into the room today, but I thought I saw uh, the Intrepid class in the bottom right corner as the ships were going past. And, uh, and then I remembered thinking, I swear someone said back in the day that you could see uh, an Intrepid class for someone who isn't aware of the ship classes. That's the same as the USS Voyager uh, from uh, from the TV show Star Trek Voyager. Uh, so I don't know if you saw that. I mean, did you did you pick out any ship designs that um, um, uh, that were familiar to you? I say at, I was actually actually at work while I was doing doing my, my my watch, so I couldn't quite pay attention all that all that well. I did see 
one of the uh, Navarre class Vulcan ships. I think is is what it was. So, mm. but yes, yeah, uh, really good seeing the technology being used. I, I still don't understand how Archer has resisted the urge to uh, not just go in there and, and use all this to their advantage. He's, he's a better man than I. Yeah. So kind of kind of scrolling down a little bit to to kind of after on 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 memory alpha as you were talking about the intrepid class that you know it is it is a possibility that that's actually what it was um there was also uh (laughs) klingon raptor class um and well actually yeah what it was confirmed to be an intrepid class um and they were saying it was possibly voyager along with the the arrow shuttle from from that class uh they had the uh, Mir space station there, one of the uh, U.S. space shuttles, uh, a Nigerian ship, a 24th century Romulan Dedrix class, and a Nova class ship from the same area. There was the. Uh, wow. They also the. There's more in there than I thought. Yeah, there's also an unnamed ship that, or the unnamed ship that attacked Enterprise in fight or flight. Oh wow! And actually, what I saw, what I saw was an upside mm. down. Uh, Surak class of, of ship is what I saw. Uh, oh, cool. Uh, unfortunately, this is going to be the last time that we'll see Daniel's database on screen. But they also had a, uh, a news article from President Bush's State of the Union address for 2003 when this episode came out, I do believe. Um, <laughs> and uh, Mike Sussman noted that Yes, that that our our time ship was was inspired by the TARDIS, and it, oh, and, there we go. and uh, his idea of the ship morphing in, into a, a police box was immediately nixed by the producers. <laughs> That's probably a bit too on the nose for Star Trek, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> so, so yeah, that 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 sort of answers our question from earlier. But it was ni- nice to have the debate without the uh, the knowledge there at the time. Hmm. Now, uh, kind of. Going back into our into our discussion, um, as far as the uh, temporal cold war, do you think this progressed it well enough for us uh, for when we pick it back up? Yes and no. Okay. So, like, I wouldn't say it progresses to the story as as we knew it at that point, mm-hmm. but it definitely, um, definitely added layers to it. It you know introduced new players in the Tholians who clearly were working for someone different to who the Suliban were working for. Um, and I thought it was just interesting to throw in the, the Tholians into that mix as well. Uh, but all we really learned from it was that the war is taking place and Daniels is right, there are multiple factions yeah. uh, in this war. And so in that regard, no, it doesn't, really progress the story at all but for what it added to the story it it leaves you with so much excitement and whenever i watch this i'm just like man this is just this is crazy what what is going on how are all these people involved and i still get that now when i watch it even when i know the resolution uh, of the whole storyline but the fact is that nothing in this episode gets picked up on again um ever <laughs> the yeah. uh you know the tholians don't show up in this storyline again the we very rarely deal with the temporal cold war itself head on like this until stormfront really um yeah 
in the start of season four. So yeah, we didn't. I, I guess you could kind of, if you were trying to look at it and try and justify that whole thing of it not being followed up on, you would say, well, this is a time war. You know, this is taking place yeah. over time, and that what Enterprise went through here was just a, a drop in the ocean of the whole thing. You know, and um, it, given it's a time war, there logically doesn't have to be any follow up at least for Archer's crew, because the war is being fought by other people in the future, you know, that uh, the follow-up is for them to experience, not for Archer. Uh, otherwise, it right. becomes a bit too linear, doesn't it? Um, and, and the linear mm-hmm. storytelling just shouldn't really make too much sense for a time travel storyline. Um, but, you know, this is ultimately a TV show, though. And so you do need to take accountability for um, progressing storylines and and completing them and i do think that future tense was let down by the lack of uh, follow-up on it however it was a great episode and it did add loads to it but i maybe the lack of follow-up is what has has prevented this episode from being uh, as widely remembered as one of the temporal cold war episodes how, how, how about you i mean did did it progress do, do you disagree with me do you think it progressed the story um, I th- I think it did progress it had had we gone or had they not you know ended the Cold War with with the Stormfront two parter there to to start season four. Um, I think I think they could have you know been able to sort of see show us kind of how the Tholians and the Sulaban were interacting on on that that's part of the battlefront. Um. But honestly, to me, kind of, you know, going with Stormfront, it did seem like they were trying to draw parallels, the Suleban being sort of like Nazi Germany trying to fight on two fronts during World War Two. Mm. you know, between, you know, getting with Archer's crew and then also with the Tholians. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I like that. I like that it was just shit going on everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, re- I really like that aspect of it. So did you did you think that Daniels was going to show up in this episode at some point? I think I did until he, well, until Archer went into his quarters, mm-hmm. his cabin. I think at that point I thought we're not going to see Daniels. But when you sort of sussed out this must be Temporal Cold War related, then I think uh, there's a little part of you thinking, ooh, maybe Daniels is going to return. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious why he didn't really, because he was kind of the uh, the link, wasn't he, for the show to this, this war. And we, yeah, we didn't see him there, but... Uh, it's funny, like it feels like he was involved in much less important <laughs> events yeah. with the Temple Cold War in within Archer's uh, timeline, but this seems like one of the biggest things they had. Yeah. I mean, they you know, could have ended up in the Enterprise's destruction. Yeah, but... and he probably probably could have, or probably should have been there to to at least make sure things went went how they were supposed to. Absolutely, yeah, he should have been, uh, but maybe they didn't want to overplay him. Um, I think Daniels as a character was a little bit damaged after Shockwave Part 2 and how he was all like, you know, woe is me, look what I've done to the timeline, all yeah. these things. So uh, maybe they're be- better to hold off on Daniels um, until Stormfront like they did. But uh, yeah, I, I think I did until they went to the cause. I thought Daniels would might show up. Okay. Yeah, like I can say, yeah, same with me. I thought he, thought he would. Um... I think when I first watched it, I was thinking it, it might have up until you know the end of the episode, and I realized, oh hey, Daniels wasn't here. We just went to his room. So, 
but you know on, on subsequent viewings I, I i think it's about about the same point as you you did so now do you have any theories on, as to who the pilot was um no we didn't get any answer did we on that no um oh i mean you asking me that means that you've come up with a theory <laughs> yourself so i feel under pressure now so um i don't know i mean we didn't get any indication that this was a a warship or anything either did we no so maybe he was just a time traveler just going back and maybe he's, in my head given that the ship was obviously bigger than it looked maybe he would do um long missions observing the past yeah so we'd be gone for long periods of time um one man mission two two person mission whatever um and uh, yeah, something just went wrong on the ship. I can't remember if the episode answered that or not. I don't think they did. Um, so. And then, yeah, uh, so I, I don't think he was anyone important. I just think he was a normal uh, historian or something or scientist. And and I don't think there's anything special about the multiple, um, you know, all the, the genes in him from different species. I just think at that point in the future, that makes perfect sense. You know, there's, uh, what was the line Daniel says? When he's asked about uh, if he's human. Mostly. Uh, and he's, I can't remember what he says. And mostly, that was it, yeah. Uh, that's true. It, it, what chance have you really got of coming across a pure human yeah. <laughs> at that point in uh, in the 31st century? So uh, so go on, tell me, what was your, what's your theory? Because I know you've got uh, one. Well, see, seeing as how Daniels was, you know, mostly human, don't think they specified exactly, you know, what all his his family makeup was. I'm thinking this could be a relative of Daniel's, which would also then explain why he wasn't able to be sent back to sort of watch over things. Oh, so you think you think this was Daniel's? No, then? no, like like his his father or or an uncle or something. Oh, sorry. Okay, that's okay. okay. Sorry. Yeah. So. Um. Well, oh, interesting. Ooh. I hadn't thought of that. So, so uh, what are what are some of your final thoughts on the on this episode? I think that this episode could have blown open the whole temporal cold war mm-hmm. into a really big, uh, you know, series sprawling arc. You know, more than it was after this one. Actually, uh, it had some big ideas. It had, I think, our first real um, multiple ship battle in Enterprise. You know, we, yeah. we started to see a lot more of those as the show went on. But, you know, you had three different forces going at it, really, in this. Um, unfortunately, I don't think the show did follow through in it, but, I can, you know, I think that is because they did that big sort of course correction into the Zindi War. Yeah. Uh, well, the Zindi arc, not really much of a war, but uh, so I don't begrudge the show for it. I see it as a missed opportunity. You know, I'm just like... Oh, I would love to have known what was going on with the Tholians. But then the Tholians are such a secretive race that it's kind of quite fitting yeah. that we that would... never know their role <laughs> in it, you know? So um, they were quite good towards the Enterprise crew, so maybe they were working for a better faction, I don't know. But um, maybe they were even working for Daniels, yeah. his uh, organization, you know? Um, the But yeah, I, I enjoy this episode. I think it's well done. Um, and... You know, there's a few bits I love in it, like the final line where T'Pol thinks, you know, <laughs> that the, the Vulcan high command are more likely to believe that 
time travel is real and that humans and Vulcans will uh, will procreate yeah. in the future. I mean, that's uh, brilliant. I mean, this whole episode actually, Chris, just whilst we're on that little topic there, takes on a whole new meaning when you think about the final two-parter of season mm-hmm. four and uh, with baby Elizabeth. Yeah. And the final... I, I remember when when Flox is in the scene in this one with Paul going through all these things and uh, how I think Paul was saying, you know, they, they said it's almost impossible that a Vulcan and a human could uh, have a baby. It, I said to Katie, as I said, wow, it's really weird watching this, knowing that the last, the very last time we see the real T'Pol in Enterprise, not the hologram version in the finale, but the very last time we see her is when she's with Trip, and Trip tells her that Phlox has um, done his studies and he sees no reason why a human and a Vulcan can't have a baby in the future. Yeah. So um, I just thought there's some links there, you know, that you just don't think about until you're watching it back. But uh, yeah, very good episode. I think it balanced everything very well. Very exciting episode, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, this this does sort of mark the uh, the halfway point in the Temporal Cold War arc throughout Enterprise. But yeah, definitely really, really enjoyed enjoyed this all all around kind of kind of makes me wish that they did like like you kind of they, they did do something with the tholians but agreeing that since they're so secretive why would we kind of find out more type of thing so yeah yeah definitely if you if you didn't watch this in advance go ahead and watch it you know as soon as you're able to and, and enjoy a, a great season two episode yeah you'd be pleasantly surprised i think by um by how good it is and you'll you'll be wondering how did i forget how good future tenses yeah <laughs> you know so i think um definitely go back and watch it if you haven't watched it uh, in quite some time the expanse a star trek enterprise podcast is produced and hosted by chris hill and myself kyle west and is a part of the holosuite media podcast network to keep up to date with all the news and updates from the expanse be sure to follow nx01 podcast on twitter instagram and facebook you can find chris hill on twitter at the Chris Hill and myself on Twitter at Kyle Thomas West. To join the Holosuit Media Community Discussion Group, simply type the Nexus into the Facebook search bar and we'll see you there. Thank you for listening. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Random Trek Review, a Star Trek Review Podcast. We get kind of that funny little bit where he's got the relationship book, and I guess maybe they're foreshadowing a little bit of, you know, future, you know, hunk <laughs> Odo. <laughs> the, the, like, romance book was hilarious. He had a funny line. I forget what it was exactly now. I didn't write it down. I only read three chapters. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That was that was pretty good. And they definitely do this. When they have kind of a heavy, deep episode, they'll sometimes put a little bit of a joke or, or something light off the top. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Voyages, a Star Trek original, animated, and Kelvin Films podcast. Full honesty, I did find that the scene was 
seemingly long when they were driving with him and, and Scotty to get to the Enterprise when they were in their little capsule. I felt that that was a very long scene driving around the whole Enterprise. But find yourself someone in life that looks at you the way Kirk looked at the Enterprise. I mean, that was a beautiful moment. And I absolutely adored when Spock came back onto the Enterprise. Just how everybody on the bridge, like Yuhura and Chekhov and everybody, they just kind of rallied around him. And it was a really warming moment just to see that original core group of people just celebrate him and happy to see him. Computer, deactivate Holosuite. 